0: Before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick invite to those going to the STFM Spring Conference to join myself and the folks over at the AFP podcast for a discussion about medical podcasts. We'll be presenting on Monday from 3 to 4 p.m. Hope to see some of you there. Stories Behind the White Coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. Today's guest is Kevin Wang. Kevin is faculty at Swedish First Health Family Medicine Residency, where he's been a pioneer in LGBTQ advocacy and healthcare in the Pacific Northwest. This year, he is leading the second annual LGBTQ Health Symposium in April. In the few moments Kevin isn't breaking barriers, you can find him playing volleyball in the Seattle area. Or losing to me in Mario Kart. Sorry.
1: So for me, I, I think my story really starts when I was young, and I didn't really know sort of what I was feeling with, you know, students, or students, but kids my age uh, in school would always call me a faggot, even though I never really knew what it meant. Um, you know, I never played sports. I never felt comfortable. I mean, watching me play basketball or attempt at it or anything was just really all sorts of awkward. and. I used to get beat up a lot. And at first I thought, was it because I was one of five Asian kids in my school community in, in the entire area? Or was it because um, even looking back now, I just acted different than most of my peers and, and my friends? Looking back on it now, of course, I know it's because that I'm gay and I knew that I was different, but I didn't really know how. And it's, it's a very lonely experience particularly since the visibility of the LGBTQ population really hadn't, hasn't risen until just the last couple, last decade or two. But back then, um, being a kid, you know, thinking it's all about me, that, uh, that there really wasn't anyone else out there like that. And, um, you know, I'm just really bad at sports. And, oh, maybe my eighth grade science teacher, who I had a really big crush on, who just so happened to be a guy, um, You know, uh, I I had no idea how to process those feelings. So fast forward to college, and I finally come out to my friends. But at that time, it's still a really lonely experience. I didn't know anybody else that identified within the LGBT population or community. Fortunately, I had really great support system. I had some friends who were really supportive, and no one turned their backs on me. And that was a very uh, encouraging time for me, just because I was still exploring my sexuality and what type of person I wanted to be and who I wanted to be with and sort of how I saw my future in terms of uh, my future life and even my future profession. I always knew I wanted to go into medicine. That whole journey was, was really when my mom needed heart surgery and um, the cardiothoracic surgeon used to give me quizzes and show me what he was going to do. And I knew at that point I was absolutely hooked. So I wanted to go into medicine. But I'm also gay, and I really didn't know how to put the two together. But that whole sense of isolation, despite the fact that I had really supportive friends, um, I I didn't really at the time have a supportive family structure. My biological family, it was nothing I could really talk with. My sister knew. And though she's supportive now, and I couldn't have gotten to where I am today without her, uh, it was something that was also difficult for her. And something that was very difficult for my mom to accept as well. And I didn't really tell my dad until I moved to Seattle in 2007. And being the wimp that I am, I told him the two days before I left for my fellowship. But the 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 main part of the story that I really wanted to talk about is really that sense of feeling so isolated and alone in the medical field as uh, as a gay as someone who identifies as gay. I remember. In med school, we had a specific talk on sex, and it came. And this was from a sexologist, and we had three days with this person. I remember uh, this this professor extremely well. And when it came to talking about the LGBTQ community, it was all of two hours in a two year book learning experience out of four years of med school. And just as a quick side note, there was a recent 2011 survey, six, seven years ago now, that three quarters of medical schools that were surveyed rated their education LGBTQ health as fair or poor. No one's rated it as good or excellent. Three quarters rated it as fair or poor. But when they started talking about the LGBTQ community, he asked the question, where do gay people live? And people giggled in my class. And I sat with my friends who kind of started feeling a little bit uncomfortable because they knew how I identified, but they didn't know how out I was in med school. And people started shouting out New York, Chicago, San Francisco. And the next thing I know, I was slowly raising my hand and our professor points to me and says, yes, where do gay people live? And I still don't know why, but I ended up standing up and I said, I'm pretty sure LGBT folks live everywhere and I can tell you that because there's one standing here right now answering this question. The room got very quiet, and that sense of isolation was, I mean, my heart was pounding on my chest. I, I could feel the heat rushing up my face, and I, it, was, it was really scary. and. To come out so publicly in front of my class was, I think, an awful, but the most exhilarating and freeing experience that I've ever had. My friends, fortunately, after the few seconds of shock, because I don't think they were expecting me to have said anything, started giving me high fives, which was really nice. And, but the, the, the gasps and murmurs that went throughout the entire class was, um, I really didn't know how to process it. I didn't know if that was positive, that was negative, but I felt it was something that was really important because our training in LGBTQ health was essentially non-existent. There was no discussion of health disparities and and the rates of suicide amongst the trans and gender non-conforming communities, particularly um, those communities of color. And so now that I look back on that whole experience, that sense of isolation, that sense that People who graduate from medical school have no experience or knowledge of how to take care of vulnerable populations. That was something I knew I needed to change. Um, I mean, in in, in the entire time that I was seeing my family doctor, who was amazing and, and, and did so many great things for me, taking care of me during my back infection and just a really phenomenal physician, never asked about. My sexuality, or um, who I was attracted to, and who I would have sex with, and things that I think a lot of medical students that would listen to this podcast would say: well, of course we're going to ask those questions, but those are questions that were never asked, um, which really only led more to my sense of isolation that heterosexuality and being cisgender is is the norm, and that there's we don't talk about anything else, at least you know, someone who's Chinese, we just never talked about it. And if it was discussed, the fact that being the only male child of my parents, not being able to pass on the last name, I mean, that's just more pressure and e- even greater isolation within my biological family. So medical school finishes. I have great support and I know that, you know, this is something I really want to take charge in and I want to do something to improve the care we provide our community. And interviews come around. It was exciting, and particularly for those programs that I felt as if I had a connection with. And something I was really excited to tell those programs is if, if there's an, ever an opportunity to do a project in residency, I wanted it to be focused on LGBTQ cultural awareness training, at least just to get that started so that we feel comfortable talking with, with that community who um, has a lot of unique health needs. I remember one residency interview where I thought it was a great program. And, it, and it, I, I, I know it is a, an, an excellent program. And I told one of the interviewers that I identify as gay and I wanted to do a project related to LGBTQ health. And it was a really engaging interview, right? We were leaning towards each other. It was, the, the, it was as if no time has passed by the time I, I mentioned that. And the body language changed almost immediately. Um, the the interviewer leaned back, had kind of an intrigued look on his on on his face, and very bluntly, really much to my surprise, when he just said, you know, I, I, I don't think that this program is for you. And that the the whole sense of isolation and being alienated and ostracized just hit me all at once. And I I I was just I was speechless. I didn't know what to think. But then, and just, just as when I stood up in class and said that gay people live everywhere, I just looked him in the eye. I stood up and I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I don't know if there's much more to this interview other than just to say thank you for allowing me to come here and interview with you. I think at that point, he knew that he must have crossed a line because as as I walked out the door, oh, which by the way, um, he didn't shake my hand. When I walked out the door, I think that's when he knew that a line was crossed. And uh, I remember uh, thanking the residency coordinator staff for the interview and just letting them know I had to leave early. Uh, the program director did run after me to apologize, and and I absolutely appreciated that. But at that point, um, I didn't need to be in a program that would further isolate me from the rest of my class to be the The gay one that wants to uh, to teach gay things or (laughs) something—I don't really know how to describe it—but it it, just—it still hit me that even in that day and age, and I'm dating myself in 2004, um, that uh, that that sentiment was still there, and so I, I I think that as a healthcare provider and as a patient. The, the message that I want to send out there is, you know, we're bound and we, and we take an oath to take care of people regardless of their race, gender, sex, gender identity and sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, cognitive ability, but we, 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 we made a promise to take care of anybody that walks in through our door judgment-free. I never want a patient to walk into our clinic and have the sense of, I can't be my true self that I can't tell my provider important things that will help that person make a plan for me that we can come up with together that can improve my emotional, physical well-being. But I, I just wanted to share that story that I know what it's like to feel isolated, and I never want anybody to
0: feel that way again. One of the books I'm reading right now is MLK's Where Do We Go From Here, talking about the civil rights movement. Where do we go from here, in your opinion? You've been able to see change, mostly for the positive, in curriculums, in the standard of care for the LGBTQ community, many of which Kevin Wang has spearheaded himself. But where, where do we go from here? Where's the, the next
1: step up? I think particularly in healthcare, we're still in the very early stages of that. And someone that I admire very greatly, the great Kamara Jones. And the only thing I can think of is her conveyor belt analogy. And what we're doing in residency programs and hospital systems and public health communities in our community health clinics, that we're going in the opposite direction to make sure that people are heard that, that, you know, not just the LGBTQ community, but all vulnerable populations that we're training people on how to provide care for them in an inclusive manner that will hopefully um, improve their overall health. And by going against the grain, by getting other people's attention on the conveyor belt of, of going in one direction and turning around and bumping into others, I think it's having people out there, such as your listeners, who want to provide health equity, and by removing barriers and access to care, and really just it's all word of mouth. It's all about preaching it. And it's all about informing others and educating others. And I think that's where we really need to start.
0: So in your story, it sounds like you have many different inflection points, whether it's coming out to your parents or the moment you had in med school or for residency interviews. Those were all different inflection points. But those different points in time are usually accompanied with pretty strong emotions. Did you have one predominant emotion in those experiences? I certainly would put it in the category of complex. Um, you
1: know, it's funny that as, as, as I talked about my residency interview journey, of course, the one that stands out the most is the one that hurts the most. I'm pretty sure I cried the entire evening. I ended up skipping that residency social for applicants. I just, I, I just couldn't, couldn't be there. And um, I mean, I ordered a bunch of hotel food and watched movies, which made me feel better. But you know, that's in contrast to the, to the feedback and, and the response I had from other residency programs. The residency program I ultimately attended, Oakwood, Annapolis, and Wayne, Michigan, excellent family medicine residency program. Hello. <laughs> um, which is now Beaumont, Beaumont Wayne, I believe, they were so supportive. Uh, that was, This was something that they had never incorporated into their curriculum. And I invited speakers from the Triangle Foundation in Michigan uh, to give our residents and our faculty information on how to be more inclusive in our clinic. My mentor, um, Dr. Scott Yackel, was a huge proponent of that. And he said, you know, Kevin, You are bringing something that is new to our program, as something that is very much needed. And he's—he was just so open and so welcoming, and I'm just so grateful for his mentorship. He is the family medicine physician that I one day hope to be, you know, in my future to be someone who's so supportive and so encouraging and such a great mentor that I will never forget what he did for me. Although I think I may be the first gay person that he knew, I'm, I'm sure he had some patients that identified as LGBT, he could just say, sure, why don't you go work with somebody and someone in our residency program can work with you on it. But he was the one that really encouraged me and, and really supported me and I will never forget it. And so, yeah, so my, my response and my, and my emotional reaction to my whole residency interview journey is complex.
0: I think about the most painful experiences in my life, those are the ones I usually carry with me in my back pocket. Those are the the ones that are constantly on my mind when I interact with people. And um, do you feel that pain makes you a better provider? Well, yeah. I mean,
1: I remember in med school, we had to watch the movie, was it The Doctor? I think with William Hurt, he had the throat cancer. He was this surgeon who, you know, didn't really... Do a lot of patient-centered care until he came down with throat cancer, had to have surgery, and then realized that there's a lot more to patient care than just doing the procedure itself. I think any growth experience is certainly one that will impact the care that we provide people. The ones that are, I guess, quote unquote negative or the ones that um, that we have a, a hurt experience, I think are the ones that we take away the most from. Would it be Even better, if we could take those lessons from those positive experiences, I I think we do. But I think the ones that we get hurt by the most are the ones we typically don't forget.
0: Do you ever share your own personal experiences being a gay provider with your patients? You know, that's really interesting. Um, It wasn't
1: until the last few years that I felt comfortable enough. I started introducing myself to all my new patients, letting people know that, Hi, my name is Dr. Wang. I use he, him, his pronouns. Because I feel that it's my job to open the door for patients. And interestingly, in Chinese, there, there is no way to verbally differentiate between he, her, and she, him. And so the way I introduce myself to my Chinese patients is, I'm not going to say it in Chinese, but translating it is, Hi, my name is Dr. Wang, and I'm gay. I mean, that's, that's really the only way I could really let uh, sort of open that door without making it feel as if they have to disclose their sexual orientation. And what was really interesting was I had two elderly Chinese people uh, come out to me. And one of them even started crying because they never thought they'd never met anybody else who was Chinese that identified as LGBTQ. and the flood of emotions that happened during that visit was really, really powerful. And I think sharing that information with my patients, they share a lot with me. I feel as if it's a two-way communication kind of thing and anything that can let people connect with me that I'm a part of their lives just as much as they're a part of mine. And I feel that uh, it can just make us closer.
0: Being half Korean, I think... For me when I have Asian patients, I I tend to and it tends to be a different slightly different experience for me. I'm a little bit more careful with the words that I say and I still succumb to many many more traditions. Do you find it's more difficult to navigate those waters with your your Chinese patients or your Asian patients? Or do you feel you've become so comfortable in your vulnerability that it's the same for all? I think so far
1: I've been in the fortunate experience that none of my Chinese-speaking patients have had any kind of reaction. I think the most interesting reaction that I've had from a few patients was they would just ask, well, you'll still be my doctor, right? And, and I think that just goes into the whole thing that it doesn't matter how you identify. If you can provide compassionate patient care, they really respond to that.
0: Grayscale is produced by Ben Davis. Special thank you to Kevin Wing for joining us on the podcast today and sharing his story. A link for the LGBTQ symposium that Kevin's hosting in April is provided in the description box below, along with other LGBTQ resources. And for any residency program that would be interested in working on Kevin's research project looking at standardized LGBTQ curriculum and family medicine training... Email him at Swedish LGBT at gmail.com in a gallery Um
1: I'm waiting quiet, for your laughing and uh, I know. Quiet. Um, Silence.